Hadn't been to a UGA game in a long time, over 20 years. In September 26, my daughter Rachel and I had the best time ever, and I was all involved and caught up in everything of the game, and I, I could be a football fanatic. I really could. <laughs> Third quarter, I was into it, and I think I was really trying to get the, the, the kickoff, go dog, sick em, woof, woof thing just right, and I was distracted. And the next moment, I saw this boy on the field. I saw the players. I saw the cheerleaders down. I said, Rachel, there's a player down. It was an eerie quiet. And we were watching. I saw both teams praying on the sidelines. And I saw the medical team running and doing this. Rachel said, what does that mean? I said, he's not moving. Some of you, most of you know the story. Devon Gales, 21 years old, his life changed in a moment. As far as I know, he's doing well, improving at Shepherd Spinal Center. But in that moment, his life and the life of his family changed. Tuesday morning, walking my dog Jack about a, a block from the high school, I hear this yelling and shouting, and I discerned that something was amiss. Something was wrong. And as I approached the corner in front of the high school, I saw this little boy, I heard him, his dad said he was a freshman. Dad was in his face yelling, cursing at him. Mom and another daughter were over here, and I was overcome by the depth of the moment. I started sobbing. I started praying. I, I pleaded for God to send an army right to surround him immediately. I was scared for that boy's life. I prayed for that army that we've been talking about to rise up. As I was praying fervently, I uh, saw the resource officers heading their way, so I knew that, that they were going to take care of it, that, that all would be taken care of. God overwhelmed me with this spirit of understanding for that father and for that mother. Who knows what they have been through to get them to that point of utterly abusing that little freshman who had had F's for 18 weeks. That's what I heard. Who knows what they have been through. You know, since September 26, since that football game, I have been overwhelmed. And it's the overwhelming of the Holy Spirit's conviction of the depth of difficulty that people face in the world today. I'm not a um, headlines preacher, but I made kind of a list of just the things that are weighing heavy on me this week. And now today, um, my heart is with the people of Mexico and the hurricane and the devastation, the damage and loss in South Carolina, the Syrian refugee crisis, the devastation and death caused by meth, by child pornography, by abuse, by the mass shootings, by the students who have been killed in car accidents. But you see, it's not an out there type of thing. 
It's in your life and it's in my life too. Perhaps it's a marriage on the rocks. Perhaps it's a new DUI, an affair, a diagnosis, an accident, horrible debt, hopelessness. Maybe you feel like you're just stuck in a rut and you've lost all joy, all happiness in your life. Perhaps it's an addiction. Maybe you're suffering from depression. Maybe you or somebody you love is having suicidal thoughts. Maybe you are in despair. See, the the reality of the situation is life is difficult. The Bible is full of stories of God's people enduring incredible hardship, incredible challenge. And some of that was self-inflicted, just like some of our stuff is very much self-inflicted. But some of it is inflicted by others or the plain uh, uh, brokenness of our world. Now, there's a mystery to God's ways. We sang about it earlier this morning. Often, skeptics or unbelievers or those in crisis choose to question God's ways. Because if we talk about this loving, compassionate God, often that question is asked, well, why would God allow these kinds of things to happen? And I'll just say right here, I don't have easy answers, and I'm certainly not going to say that God's a a musician and zap, you know, everything's going to be just fine. But I am here to tell you one thing, that God is bigger than we can ever dream, think, or imagine. He, prophet Isaiah tells us that, that God says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. There is hope in the midst of horrible situations, horrible challenges. Jesus addresses reality in John 16, and I want to go there first. This was when Jesus was preparing his disciples for his death, that he was soon going to leave, and he was trying to get his disciples to understand what was going to happen. And this is what he ends that little discourse with. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Jesus said it. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart I have overcome the world. See, and that's the good news of the gospel. That's why I can stand on faith. That's why I can't explain why all of this is happening. But I can stand and boldly proclaim that thanks be to God, God is God and I am not. That we have the victory over sin and death because Jesus shed his blood so that we might overcome. Jesus has overcome the world. God doesn't zap us with suffering, but he allows it to happen. And that is something that's real. And it's hard for us. Now, after that, that, uh, that UGA game, Christy Estes, our own Christy, wrote something powerful. And she gave me permission to share this. She said, God can take our suffering 
and turn it into something beautiful. God allows it to give us mercy for others who are suffering. He gives us hope through our challenges, blessings in our darkest moments. That's where I believe we're at today with the power of telling our stories. Last week, Ryan Brooks, Adam Lofton, thank you guys, stood up with such honesty, with such transparency. If you weren't here, go online, go to our church website and find it. You need to hear their stories. Because you see, God uses the power of Jesus' story to then encourage us to tell our story so that one, we either get the help we need or we stand in the gap for someone else. God uses our pain, our brokenness, our struggle to testify to his faithfulness. You know, often we must experience God, not just to know that he exists, but we've got to experience him. And didn't our song say we experience him in the deepest waters? It means when we're walking through storms or adversities, tragedies, disappointments, devastation and loss, I would call that when we, when we consider we are just in a pit, or perhaps you would describe it as a dark night of the soul. When you, when I feel alone, abandoned, betrayed, anger, bitter. When we have to ask the hard questions. When we have to endure sleepless nights. When we experience the fear and the doubt and the anxiety. You see, I believe this is where God trains warriors. Warriors to step up in battle. There is an army rising up. And it's kind of like that song, Lean on Me, when you're down, you know, when one person's down, God has another who's going to stand in the gap to journey with, to walk alongside, to pray for and with that person. God is raising up an army. And I want you to hear a story. And I, I got to read this so make sure I'm on track. This is where I want to go today. We need to be vulnerable enough to fo- face our fear and to honestly take a risk. To be transparent enough to admit that we don't have it all together. To admit that we are struggling and to tell our story to God and to somebody else so that we can get the help that we need. Or, we need to have the courage and boldness to share our story of a time of great difficulty because that's how God uses us, works in and through us to minister to others. We need to tell our story of how God reconciled, redeemed, restored us because sometimes We've got to encourage other brothers and sisters. Sometimes we've got to stand in the gap for them. Sometimes we've got to hold them accountable. There is power in God's story through the story of Jesus Christ. And there is power in our stories. It's all about telling stories. 
going to do my best to tell a story this morning. It's about a family in Bethlehem. Naomi was her name. Husband and two sons lived in Bethlehem. A famine came across that land. There was nothing for them. So they went to a foreign land of Moab, and they, they set up household, so to speak, in this foreign land of Moab. It wasn't very long, and Naomi's husband died. Ten years later, the, the sons and the daughters that they had married, and the sons died as well. So Naomi was left with her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. Naomi was pretty bitter. She said, I've got to go back home to Bethlehem. There's nothing for me here. You stay here. You go back to your, your household. Go back to your family. That's how they did things back then. It's all about the family line. Orpah decided she would go back to her mother, her father in Moab. But Ruth said, no. I'm with you. I'm going to journey with you. Where you go, I'll go. Your family will be my family. So she traveled back to Bethlehem. Let's pull up Ruth 1, because this is where some of you may be today. This is how Naomi felt. She said, the Lord's hand has gone out against me. And in the message, it says, God has dealt me a hard blow. That was the reality of her life. And when she got back to, to Bethlehem, people were saying, oh, oh, there's Naomi. Welcome home. Go to verse 20. Naomi said, uh-uh, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. That means bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord afflicted me, she said. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Do you hear the despair? Do you hear the dark night of her soul? Do you hear the pit that she's in? It was harvesting season. And to, to, you know, widows had nothing once the husbands died. Because in that time, in the biblical times, it was all about the husband's line and the name of the family through the husband. Naomi said to Ruth, okay, it's, it's harvesting season. Go to, I have a relative here. Go to his field and see if you can just pick up little bits and pieces of what's left. Glean the, the leftovers to give us something to eat, to, to give us something to live on. Ruth went to the field of Boaz, a relative of Naomi's through the husband's line. Boaz was a man of integrity, of respect and honor. He greeted his workers in the field by, hey, the Lord be with you. And they replied, the Lord be with you. It seemed as if Boaz put God first in all that he did. Ruth worked hard. Boaz noticed her, and he, he made sure 
that the workers didn't mistreat her. That also was something very common in those days. Women, especially young girls, were treated like dirt and often abused. Boaz watched out for Ruth. And she was able not only to pick up the leftovers, but some of the the first fruits, so to speak, of that harvest. Before Ruth went home after a long day out in the field, Boaz allowed her to eat and to fill her apron with, you know, scholars say, quarts, bushels of barley and grain. So when she got back to to Naomi's place, Naomi realized through that offering that God had not forsaken her. God had not left her. That there was that, that faith of a mustard seed left in her. There was that glimmer of hope. And because of the whole family situation, Naomi chose to, to give Ruth some instructions. She said, go at night and lay at the feet of Boaz. Now there's all kinds of cultural significance and tradition with this. And if a woman would would lay at the feet of a man and, and cover up with just a corner of the blanket, that would say, hey, I'm available for marriage. Boaz noticed her and wondered what she was doing. Asked her, and and she said, basically, uh, Joanne's paraphrase, I'm available. Now, here again, Boaz could have taken utter advantage of her, could have ruined her life. But he chose to treat her with dignity, with respect, and with honor. And I have to skip ahead But the bottom line is, you know, a lot of people think this is just a really cool love story because it ends up that that Boaz and Ruth get together. But there's something so much deeper than this. Through the whole kinsman-redeemer thing, it's a cultural thing where through a family, through the family line of the relative... When a husband dies, the, the male relative has to take care of the women. It ended up that this relative Boaz was truly the king's kinsman or covenant redeemer for that family. But there was one person who was even closer in, in the, the family line. So Boaz said, you know, I would gladly take over. I would gladly marry Ruth so that Naomi's family line through her husband could be saved, through the, the, so the name could be saved. But there's one guy who's closer in the bloodline. Let me check with him. So he did all the right things. He went to this guy and said, hey, by rights, all that, that Naomi has is yours. You go ahead if you want to take this. But you know, with it, you, you need to take care of Naomi. That gentleman said, that would would interfere with my own line, my own farm, my own inheritance. So he said, would you please take it? So Boaz chooses to marry Ruth to save the line, the family line of Naomi. 
Now, yeah, it can be a nice, cute love story. I want you to study the story of Ruth, the book of Ruth this week. Because if we're not careful, we're going to overlook what's really important. The women noticed something after Boaz and Ruth got together, after they got married. You see, Ruth had a son. His name was Obed. Now, listen to this in verse 14 and 15 of Ruth 4. This is what the women said to Naomi. Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he, the baby, become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Now, let me tell you a little bit about that seven sons thing. A woman's worth came through a male. And it came through the boys. If she had sons, their sons gave her worth. The sons gave her honor and a name. The women recognized that there was something going on with this baby that Boaz and Ruth had, that he's going to have more influence, more, uh, hmm, more influence, I can't think of the word, than seven sons. Now, here's the thing. I need you to get this. Boaz was the father to Obed. That's the baby. Obed became the father of Jesse. When we sing some Christmas songs, sometimes, especially around that time, we talk about the the stem of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. When we sing those songs and when we read in the Christmas story that Jesus was born out of the lineage of David, here it is. Jesus came out of that line. Boaz, Obed, Jesse, David, Jesus. That is so significant to me because in her bitterness, when she was in the pit, Naomi thought her life was, mm. but God had other things in store. God had other things in mind. God has this master plan that we have no idea. There was a poem a long time ago about a master designer that we see all of these pieces and threads and it doesn't make any sense at all. And God is working together to form this beautiful tapestry. This story is a reminder to us of what what prophet Jeremiah said. And Adam quoted it last week. God says, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans not to to harm you, but to prosper you, to give you hope and a future. That's what this means in, in Romans when Paul is saying all things work together for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Now here's the thing. 
It's the story of Jesus. It's the story of how God has sent Jesus as our covenant redeemer. He has given us hope. He has given us victory over sin and death. Whatever situation you are being faced with right now, God says, I've got you. Don't give up. Hang on. Hang on. Jesus says, come to me. All of you who are carrying heavy burdens, all of you who are tired, all of you who are in the pit, all of you who are experiencing a dark night of the soul, and I will give you rest. Rest doesn't mean that he's going to zap you with, whoo, all is well. See, life isn't like that because Jesus said life is is difficult in this world you will have trouble but don't stay there so many of us choose to live in that part and the good news is but take heart have peace I have overcome the world we're an army rising up and we need to be claiming that fully and we need to be living in the hope of Jesus Christ Yeah, amen. (laughs) Now, some of you can't get there because you are in the pit. All of us have been in the pit. All of us have been there. Would you face your fear and would you say to God, I need help, I can't do it anymore. And then would you tell your story to somebody else so that they can journey with you help you, walk alongside you, get you the help you need. Or, if you're, you've got your head above the waves right now and you are floating in God's love and mercy and provision, then would you tell your story? Would you be asking God to, to, to give you those people who need to hear from you? We've got to get rid of this image. That as a Christian, all is well. You know, I hey, I'm good. Well, Jesus was the one who said, it's going to be tough. So let's, let's get rid of this image that we think we have to live. Let's be real. Let's tell the truth. Let's be honest. Let's be vulnerable. Let's be transparent and say, this is the hardest season of my life. I don't know how I'm going to make it through. And when we get to that point where we admit to God and to others that we cannot do it anymore, that's it. Then God can begin to work in and through us. And that's then when we can sing perfect submission. All is at rest For I and my Savior am happy and blessed. If I were the songwriter, I would strike out happy and and put joy. Because I believe happiness is that external, situational stuff, emotion. But joy is knowing. It's that experience with God, knowing that he is with us no matter what. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, Lost in his love. 
That's where God's calling us to be, even in the midst of the deepest, darkest places of your life. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Now, one more thing that I feel God is calling us to, and that is when we are in the pit, it is often the hardest to worship. And that's what God wants from us. That when things are, are so difficult, so challenging, that's when we say, I praise you, Jesus. You are my covenant redeemer. You have shed your blood for me, and I stand on your promises. Scripture doesn't say give thanks for the circumstances. It says give thanks in all circumstances. What do you do? You give thanks that God has not forsaken you, that God is with you, that God is giving you in enough courage, enough stamina, enough strength to take one more step. That's the good news. That's what some of you came to hear today, that God has not left you. God has not forsaken you. So as the band gets ready to lead us, we need to prepare our hearts for worship yet again. Where are you? Are you, are you Naomi? Are you in a place of feeling like God has just Mm, throwing a bunch of at you? Are you bitter? Are you saying to God, don't call me by my name, call me Mara? Or are you Boaz, who God is calling to step in as a person of integrity and of honor and to say, hey, my God is a good God. My God is a faithful God. Are you Ruth? who is surrendering yourself. I don't know if that was grammatically correct, but uh, are you Ruth? And God's calling you to journey with somebody, not leave them in the midst of trials. Wherever you are, God is saying, tell your story. Tell your story. And I just have to say, in a couple weeks, we have sign up for life groups. Living life together, that's what it's all about. If you're not in a Sunday school class, let me help you with that. If you're not in a small group, let me help you with that. If you need some, some help, guys, then, then see some of these guys who go early Wednesday morning Ironmen. Women, if you need some help, we've got Tuesday night, we've got Wednesday morning. There is a place. Youth, you got to be in those small groups. You got to be worshiping. You got to be at youth on Sunday nights. We need community. We need to be about that army that's rising up. Let it be so in the name of Jesus.